It was a good week, huh? All right, well, for our time together this morning, uh, we continue in our journey of uh, doing some uh, sightseeing in uh, Jerusalem. And uh, today uh, we're going to go to an upper room, right? And uh, give you a sense of uh, geography and where that's, uh, where that's all located. If you look at this slide here, you can see the... Um, have my laser working here. You can see the Temple Mound right here. Uh, and remember the Kidron Valley is right here. And if we go off the map, like over in here, remember last week we were at the Garden of Gethsemane. And over here is uh, the Mount of Olives, way over there. The uh, upper room is right there. You can see that little square there. Uh, the upper room is right there. So you can see the distance that Jesus was maneuvering in that week of his passion as he came down the Mount of Olives, spent time in the Temple Mount, and then now we see him in the upper room, and then he will go to, uh, to the Garden of Gethsemane. Another view of it, to give you a little quicker map kind of thing, the way things lay out is uh, here you can see, you know, the temple uh, here, Kidron Valley running up, uh, and then in the upper room down here in the lower part of the upper city of, uh, of David. And it is an upper room. If you uh, look at the next picture, you can see uh, it's upper, right? You have to go in, you have to go upstairs, uh, and it is actually uh, an upper room. And uh, you can see that kind of prayer tower up there. Uh, that actually came when the, the Muslims took over Jerusalem, and uh, they uh, kind of put that into the wall to, uh, to uh, face uh, Mecca and turned the upper room into a mosque for a period of time. Uh, and then, of course, the Christians uh, came back, and uh, so it's uh, now kind of a historical site for us to go see and remember uh, what happened there. Here's another view from the street level with some people there. You can get the sense of the upperness of uh, what it means to be uh, in the upper room. Inside, it looks like this, uh, bigger than what you thought. Yeah, go to the next one. You can see even better how, how big it is. There you go. It's actually, you can see kind of three pillars there. There's three big pillars that kind of separate into the three uh, sizable uh, nave areas. So it's uh, quite a large uh, quite a large upper room. So you can see how Jesus and his 12 disciples could easily maneuver around uh, in that space. And when we start thinking about the upper room, uh, of course, what's the first thing that comes to mind when you think of what happened in the upper room? Well, in the upper room, Jesus gave us what? It's the place of the Last Supper, so he gave us communion, right? Sure, he gave us the Lord's Supper there. I mean, that's kind of the for most folks, that's the usual thing that kind of jumps into your mind and says, oh, yeah, the upper room, that's, you know, the Da Vinci painting and Jesus sitting at a table with the disciples and in the middle of it giving us uh, the meal. But if you think about the upper room, so much more happened uh, around this room. You know, it's, it's also there that Jesus uh, knelt down and uh, took a basin of water and a towel and washed each of the disciples' uh, feet. Uh, it's probably the upper room where the disciples gathered after Jesus was arrested and they were in fear. And the, and the Bible tells us they locked themselves in a room uh, for fear of the Jews. It's probably the upper room. Um, and it's also then probably the same upper room where Jesus appeared to the disciples as they were 
imprisoned by their fear, that he appeared to them uh, after he rose uh, from the dead. But today, what I want to show you and talk to you about is uh, something else that happened uh, in the upper room. It doesn't make the hit parade. It doesn't make the list that we usually talk about in terms of, hey, that's where Jesus gave his communion and where he washed his disciples' feet. And yeah, just You see, what we need to remember is something significant also happened in the upper room. In the upper room is the place where betrayal, betrayal took place. It's important for us to acknowledge that, not simply in terms of recognizing everything that took place in the upper room, but more importantly, it's important for us to acknowledge that because betrayal takes place more than just in one upper room in Jerusalem. Am I right? Betrayal takes place in our lives. I mean, I think all of us in the room today, in this room, we can uh, do the memory tapes and think about places in our lives, and I suspect almost all of us, if not all of us, can find that place in our life where we were betrayed. You know, maybe it was in junior high school when you were dating this girl and, and you thought you had a relationship going, and then you shared that with your best friend, and the next thing you know, your best friend is over at the girlfriend's house. And Anybody else have that story? The betrayal is, is part of life here in a broken world. And we need, to, we need to understand what betrayal is and how it creeps into our lives and how it found its way into that upper room because we are so familiar with betrayal. Jesus is in the upper room with his closest companions. It's important to note that. You see, when you think of the upper room, who was there? Well, it was Jesus and his disciples. He's there at table. He's there washing their feet. He's there with the closest people in his life. They, they have traveled with him for three years. They have eaten with him. They have, they have slept in the same places with him. They, they have seen him do all kinds of miracles. And, and they've listened to all kinds of words. And, and they've been on every experience that he's been about for these last three years. And he has trusted them more than anybody else on the face of the earth. He has trusted them and shared with them information that he didn't share with everybody else. There's times in the scripture where he, he takes the disciples aside, and when they're aside, he tells them private things. These are his most trusted companions on earth. And that's exactly where betrayal comes from. Betrayal. Betrayal comes from from our closest relationships. You see, our enemies can't betray us because they're already our enemies, right? We don't have a close relationship to our enemies. Our enemies can attack us. Our enemies can hurt us. Our enemies can say all kinds of things about us. But our enemies can't betray us. Betrayal comes from your closest relationships when you trusted somebody. You trusted somebody and they took that trust and broke it. Isn't it right? Betrayal comes out of our closest relationships. And so it is this night with the disciples. 
It says, after Jesus had said these things, he was deeply troubled, and he told his disciples, I tell you for certain that one of you will betray me. One of the twelve, one of those sitting at the table, one of those who have been with him these three years, one of his closest, most trusted companions now, are going to betray him. The next result for the disciples, when they hear this word, it says in the text, they were confused about what he meant, and they just stared at each other. Can you see the folks in the room, the twelve around the table, and Jesus just kind of drops this bomb on the table and says, one of you, one of my closest companions, one of you who I have trusted the most, one of you is going to betray me. And the disciples are picking their jaw up off the table and saying, what? What? Who? Can't be. I mean, the other texts that record this say that they're just muttering to one another and saying, Lord, Lord, it can't be me. No, certainly it's not me, Lord. And yet the truth, the reality, is that everybody who was in that room that night, everybody who sat at table that night with Jesus, betrayed him. It's a tough lesson, isn't it? You see, the lesson is everybody in this room has the same capacity. We have the same capacity. All those disciples, before the night is over, every single one of them runs and hides and wants absolutely nothing to do with Jesus. And they all engage in their own level of of betrayal. While, while they're sitting at table and they're asking the question, certainly not me, certainly not me, it's impossible, me, Lord, you couldn't mean me. What's really neat in the text is Peter, you know, Peter, kind of brash, bold, speak out Peter, right? This time, you know what Peter does? Peter gets enough gumption up to get John to ask Jesus who's going to betray him. How's that for a triangle? Jesus gets enough guts up to say, John, you ask him. It says in the text, So the disciple leaned toward Jesus and asked, Lord, which one of us are you talking about? The reality is, he's talking about every one of them has the capacity for betrayal. See, the trouble for us this morning in this room is we are going to acknowledge, and it's easy for us to acknowledge, that there are others who have been in our life who have betrayed us, right? It's easy to remember that. It's easy to point out other and experiences where we have been hurt and devastated because someone we trusted has betrayed us. The harder task, the harder task is to look at ourselves and understand that we also have been the betrayer. We also, like every one of the disciples, have been the betrayer. Judas is the big one, at least that night at the table. Judas is the big one. He's he's one of the twelve. He's he's trusted, obviously, because we learn later on in the text that he's the, the money keeper. He's the treasurer of the group. I mean, am I right? The one person you want to trust is the guy that's managing your money? He's the guy managing the money. He's obviously a pretty trusted fellow in the group. 
The text says, Jesus answered, I will dip this piece of bread in the sauce and give it to the one I was talking about. Then Jesus dipped the bread and gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. And look what happens. Right then, Satan took control of Judas. Who became in charge? You see, there is the betrayal. A lot of us think, no, no, the betrayal comes later on when, when, when he goes into the Garden of Gethsemane and Judas goes up and he kisses Jesus and, and he turns him over to those who came to a race. No, the betrayal took place in the room. It took place in the room because in the room, in the upper room, Satan becomes the person in charge of Judas's life. Now, Satan's been working on him. Evil's been working on Judas. Judas is already a pretty good piece down the road, right? He's already been thinking, you know, Jesus isn't doing what I expected. You know, Jesus just isn't accomplishing what I thought he was supposed to be about. You know, Jesus isn't the person that I thought he was supposed to be. It's not unfolding like I thought. Do you hear a lot of eyes in that? You see, Judas, Judas is already down the road of saying, wait a minute, I'm the one that's supposed to determine how things are supposed to happen. Jesus isn't fitting the bill here. He's already decided about 30 pieces of silver. And on that night, in the upper room, he betrays Jesus by giving his life and the direction of his life and the purpose of his life over to the evil one. And therein lies the betrayal. And it's not just Judas. Before the night is over, it's not just Judas. We get Peter as well. Peter, who is the strong, brash guy, right? We get Peter, and, and Peter is talking with Jesus. And Peter asks, Lord, why can't I go with you now? He said, I would die for you. Jesus says, would you really die for me? I tell you for certain that before the rooster crows, you will say three times that you don't even know me. It's not just Judas. It's also Peter. I mean, Peter says, Jesus, look, it can't be me. Jesus, I love you too much. Jesus, I, I love you just too much. There's no way. There's, it's, it's, it's impossible for me to betray you because I just love you too much. I would give up everything for you. Really? See, the problem with betrayal is when we keep focusing on ourselves. Judas, I thought Jesus was supposed to do it this way. Jesus isn't meeting my expectations. Peter, I, I, I love you, Jesus. Jesus, I, I love you. You see, both of them gave in to temptation and the control of the evil one in their life. Why? Because they forgot. We get through betrayal and we push off betrayal. This is important. Listen, we push through betrayal and we push betrayal out of our lives when we remember how much God loves us first. See the difference? If Peter or Judas would have had the recollection on that night and they would have said, no, I can't do this. Why? Because I am a favored child of God. 
No, I, I can't do this because I belong to the promises that Jesus has given these last three years. No, I can't do this. Why? Because I know God has a purpose and a plan for my life. If, if Peter would have just remembered that, he would have also been able to say, you know what? Even if I face suffering, even if I face death, it doesn't matter because I know. I know that God's promise in my life is true and it will take me to eternity if he would just remember first how much God loves him. See, we all know in the upper room the disciples participated in betrayal. And we all know that in this room either betrayal hurts us by somebody else's action or we become the betrayer. And if we would only remember how much God loves us, we can endure the betrayal and we can push that temptation to be the betrayer out of our life. If you look at the text again, what happened for the disciples is they got stuck in confusion. They, they got stuck in confusion instead of remembering. It says in the text, But because Judas was in charge of the money, some of them thought that Jesus had told him to buy something they needed for the festivals. Others thought Jesus had told him to give some money to the poor. Judas took the piece of bread and went out. When you get wrapped into betrayal, you lose focus in your life and you become confused. You, you, you lose the purpose and the plan of God in your life and you become confused and you start focusing on yourself in the way you want life to be. And when you start focusing on yourself and you start focusing on what you want life to be, you stop giving God control and you start giving the evil one his way. Betrayal is sneaky. Betrayal is tempting. Because it brings us into that place where we get back to just trusting us and we stop trusting God. And we start trusting us, then things aren't going the way we think they should. And things aren't happening the way we think they ought to. And we start blaming other people and we just start deciding we need to somehow get even. Look again uh, at the text. And it talks about uh, Jesus speaking to Judas in this moment of betrayal. Jesus said, Judas, go quickly and do what you have to do. No one at the meal understood what Jesus meant. See, here's the problem. When betrayal comes on us, when, when we get in the midst of that betrayal and that hurt, we get overwhelmed by that hurt, we get confused by that hurt, and we start asking questions like, why is this happening? I trusted that person. How could they do this to me? I trusted them more than anybody. How, God, how could you allow this to, how could you possibly bring this into my life? I thought I had a good relationship with that person and, and they would do this to me? How can this be happening to me? And we forget. We forget that we live in a broken world and suffering is part of it. 
And when we follow Jesus Christ, we follow the way of the cross. And the cross was a place of suffering. And when that hurt comes into our life and when that betrayal comes into our life, the challenge for us is to remember that even in the suffering, God can accomplish his purpose. Now remember this. It said that Judas betrayed Jesus because who took control of his life? Satan did, remember? Just had it a few verses ago, right? It means God did not cause Judas to enter into this betrayal. God allowed the betrayal, and then God used Judas's betrayal to accomplish his purpose of our salvation. When betrayal comes into your life, God will not abandon you. But he will use this betrayal period and this challenging time in your life to build your character and keep you on the path toward the purpose that he has for you. You see, God never allows something in our life that doesn't ultimately contribute to the purpose he has for us. So when betrayal comes, when hurt comes, when this devastation happens, we have to receive that and remind ourselves what? God's love for us is greater and we can push through this and remain confident that God can take even this devastating betrayal and shape us and form us and mold us for whatever it is he has in store for our lives. Isn't that awesome? You know what? Judas forgot that. Judas forgot that. And when he participated in the betrayal, when it was all over, what did he do? The text says he hung himself in despair. Peter was in the betrayal. And yet somehow Peter gets through the betrayal because he remembers somewhere along the way that Jesus said, Peter, I'll see you in Galilee. You see, Peter remembers. He remembers along the way that God still loves him, regardless of his betrayal. If you're in the room this morning, and you've been a betrayer, remember this. God still loves you. God still has a purpose for your life. Jesus Christ died at the hands of a betrayer so that you could turn to him and live. You see, what happens to folks when they get into the betrayal is they get living in the darkness. It's great in the text. It's just one little phrase in the text. It's set apart in most Bibles when you read it. And it just simply says, it was already night after the betrayal takes place and Judas leaves, it says it was already night. You see, betrayal leads to darkness in our life. You know what happens when you become a betrayer? You become a betrayer and, and then you start justifying yourself. And then you're going to find other people, other people who are betrayers, and they're going to help you justify yourself. You're going to find them and they're going to say, you know, they deserved it. You know, for what they did to you, I don't think you really did anything really that bad to them. I mean, as bad as they were to you, they deserve so much more than what you dealt them. Heard that before? See what happens? 
when you get into betrayal, you get into the darkness, and in the darkness you start finding those other people who are also betrayers, and they come together, and your life moves from light to darkness. And then you start getting thoughts. When somebody has hurt you and betrayed you, you start saying, man, I want to get even. They deserve what they did to me. Man, they deserve. Am I right? You see, that's living in the darkness. What the Bible teaches us is that when betrayal happens in our life, we need to remember either we're the betrayer or the one being betrayed. It doesn't matter. We need to remember, stay in the light of God's love for us and let God take care of the revenge. If someone has betrayed you, it is so tempting to want to get even. The challenge is to let God take care of the revenge. Look at Leviticus 19, and would you just say verse 18 with me? You ready? Stop being angry and don't try to... Ugh. Clear? Get it? Right there, isn't it? You don't have to. Stop, 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 stop. Right? Stop. You can just stop. Stop letting it burden your life. Stop carrying the frustration and the anger. Stop worrying about what that person's life is like and wanting to get even. Stop listening for every little thing when you hear, hey, something really bad happened to them. <laughs> yeah. Stop. You don't have to worry about that. You don't have to carry that in your life. That's walking in the darkness. Jesus Christ died and suffered at the hands of a betrayer. So you won't have to. So you can stay in the lights. See what the second half of the, of the passage tells us? You stop being angry and you stop worrying about revenge. And it says, I am the Lord and I command you. Woo. I what? Command you to love others. To love others as much as you love yourself. Where's the focus? The focus isn't on getting revenge, getting even. The focus is on living above it and exercising love. Isn't that what Jesus did? At the hands of the betrayer, Jesus was thinking about you in love. And he asks us and he invites us, remember, remember who loves you so much. And just concentrate on exercising that love in your life. What do you do with the revenge? What do you do with the frustration? Give it up. Turn it over. Give it to God. That's what Jesus carried to the cross that day. Just give it up. You know, the prophet Jeremiah gives us that example in uh, Jeremiah 20. He says, O Lord Almighty, you who examine the righteous and probe the heart and the mind, let me see your vengeance upon them. For to you I have committed what? You see it? What do you do? You see, Jeremiah is not going to live in the darkness. He's not going to be captured by that life of seeking revenge. He's going to live in the light of loving others and bringing God's truth into life. He's going to let God take care of revenge. He's just going to take his cause and say, Look, I am not going to carry this burden anymore. I am going to turn it over to you, Lord, because you know better. You know the mind and the hearts of people. 
You know the one that betrayed me. And by the way, you know when I've been the betrayer. I just put my cause to you. You see, that's the invitation of an upper room. It is the invitation of this room today. If you are carrying that burden because you've been betrayed, if you are carrying that burden because you've hurt someone else in betrayal, in that upper room, Jesus took some bread and he gave thanks and he broke it. And he took a cup and he gave thanks and he gave it to him. And he said, take it and eat it and drink it because I pour out my life for the forgiveness of your sins. I pour out my life for the betrayal in yours. When you come to the table this morning, imagine a room with three pillars and let Jesus take your cross and remember how much he loves you. Because from this upper room, he went to a cross and a tomb for you. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for your son, Jesus. Thank you for everything that he's done in our lives. Thank you that we can trust him more than ourselves and that we can turn to him and give him our cause, whatever our hurts are, whatever has been done to us, and whatever we have done. Father, today, receive all of this. Empty every heart in this room to you and to your incredible love that when the day is done, we can simply remember and trust your love for us, your love for us, a love you would show on a cross and you would prove through an empty tomb and you would bring to us today in bread and wine. We commit this cause to you in Jesus' name.